0: It has been brought to our attention that depending on the platform that you listen to, you can no longer hear some of our previous episodes.
1: Some of our favorite episodes.
0: Some of the ones where people would reach out and say, hey, listen, I can't believe that you talk to insert whatever name here.
1: And honestly, it makes us a little sad that you can't go back in time and have a listen because the stories were really incredible.
0: We reference a lot of times, oh, we had a chance to talk with so-and-so in the past. And if you can't go back, then it's kind of just, oh. So we wanted to bring some of those Guests, some of those former guests back into the spotlight.
1: We're going to call it like a, a rerun, I think.
0: A Why Me Project rerun. Do you remember those? I do back in the day, or you used to throw the tape into the VCR and <laughs> oh, we're dating ourselves.
1: We are, but uh, a rerun was the opportunity to rewatch one of your favorite episodes. Now everything's so accessible. Well, we thought it
0: was. Yeah, exactly. So without further ado...
1: Here's your Why Me Project Rerun.
0: She is our 100th guest, which makes her extra amazing, extra great, extra special, and wonderful. It is Kim Walker-Smith. How are you? Good. Really good. We like to ask <laughs> the skill-testing question because we never know where it's going to go, Kim. Who are you and where did yeah. you come from? <laughs>
2: Um, Who am I? I'm a wife and a mom and a worship leader and just a creative, I guess, in general. And um, I'm originally from Oregon, but I have lived in California for the last 18 years. So in my heart, I'm still an Oregonian, but I'm also a Californian. But I only claim that just a little bit because Californians (sighs) are just a little crazy.
0: Completely fair and understandable. (laughs) What was life like then growing up in Oregon?
2: I grew up on... Um, a little farm town in Oregon, southeastern Oregon. It's very small, and Oregon is kind of a little quiet and <laughs> slow moving, which is great. Um, but I, I had as much as I love where I, I grew up. I did have a bit of a rough upbringing and multiple stepfathers and a lot of challenges I was facing as a child. So growing up years, um, I felt like I grew up pretty early um, and at a pretty young age, actually.
0: Where did the faith side of things come in?
2: I had this really awesome encounter when I was about 11 years old. My mom, she, at the time, was a single mom. She decided to send us to a church camp in the summertime, like, you know, single mom, got to figure out something to do with my kids while I'm working and there's no school. And so we got sent to this church camp, and um, all of the kids there were, like, each night they'd have ministry, and these kids are crying and, you know, hands raised, worshiping and encountering Holy Spirit and having these these moments, you know. And me and my sister just thought it was so weird <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and strange and terrifying. And so um, we'd run and hide every single night um, back in our cabin and just wait for it to be over. And, you know, after that was over, it was like free time and the candy store came open. But mm. on the last night, my sister and I both were just feeling... um this hunger there's something that keep these kids have and understand that we don't and it, it felt like a tangible hunger like we want what they have and um I looked at my sister and just said I'll go back if you go back and she's like okay and we walked back into the main hall holding hands and like really scared and walked up to the our our camp counselor and I I tapped her and all of a sudden, I, I burst into tears. I didn't know why I was crying, and I just said, I don't know what these kids have, but I wanted to, before she could even you know, pray for us, she, she started to walk kind of towards me like she's going to put her hand on me and pray for me, and before she could even do that, my sister and I both just have this encounter with Holy Spirit, and I didn't have words. I couldn't have said um, or verbalized um, Holy Spirit or anything like that, um, but I, the way that I said it later was that I felt like I had met God, and that um, I I could feel His love for me, mm-hmm. and that was really really profound moment for me as an eleven year old. And I don't remember in that moment at all, like saying, you know, I, I I accept you as my Lord and Savior or anything like that. But I still had this moment and this encounter, and when I came back home. I asked my mom, you know, can we, can we go to this church that had sent us to this camp? I really want to go on a Sunday night. And we went to church, like, off and on. In my head, it was more of, like, this random ritual, not necessarily something that was, like, a big part of life. My mom said we could, and I go to that church Sunday night, and the worship starts, and I run up towards the front and just start worshiping. My hands raised and having this encounter, just singing to Jesus and um, just Worshiping. I didn't really, I'd never done that before, but I just felt like so compelled to do this because I was so excited about this love that I had encountered. And um, after a little bit, this lady came up and she grabbed my shoulders and pulled me and sat me down. And I didn't know why she did that. And when I got home that night, I asked my mom why I did that or why that lady did that. And my mom said, You just have to know when to stop. All this shame came in in that moment for an 11-year-old girl who literally has no clue what's going on, hmm. but just feels this love with Jesus and, and wants to express that and experience that. And um, I, my heart just shut down in that moment. Like, shame was, like, so much. My heart just shut down. I mean, I put up my walls, like, I don't want any part of this. And then it wasn't until many years later, when I was a senior in high school, so I was, like, 17, 18 that I gave my life to the Lord when I actually tried to end my life and it didn't work. And when I woke up, I surrendered my life to Jesus and vowed that I would never look back, that I was only moving forward with Him from that day on, which I did. That was really the start of my, I guess, growing my relationship with God and really getting to know Him.
0: What led you to that moment where you felt like you didn't want to live anymore?
2: My mom was married to my third stepdad, and the two stepdads before that were really abusive. When my mom married the stepdad she was married to then, he was a Christian and a really amazing man who daily demonstrated the love of Jesus to a very broken teenager who was angry and hated him just simply because he was the man (laughs) married to my mom. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I was so angry at what had happened to me. I was angry at God that he hadn't stopped it. I was angry at my mom that she just married a new man and moved on. And I I felt like I got left in there, her dust, way back somewhere behind her. And she would say to me, Kim, just be a kid. You know, you just be a kid. You don't just forget the past. Everything's better now. Everything's fine now. Just be a kid. And those words were just, Infuriating to me because I thought I grew up at a young age a long time ago. I have no clue how to be a kid. I feel like I've been an adult all this time, and and then to to say to me just be a kid. Well, I don't. I don't know what that means. I don't know how to do that. And I felt robbed of those years. And then here I am now stuck like a old person in high school, <laughs> and then she's really concerned. She can see that I'm I'm not doing good. And, and she's saying, Kim, you don't have to take care of me anymore. George is going to do that. That's his job. George will take care of me. That's my stepdad. But to say that to me felt like I don't even know my place or my role because I had felt like my job was to protect her, to look out for her, and my siblings who are all younger than me to suddenly be told, it's not your job to protect or take care of and also just be a kid. There was no identity. I, I just had no, like, no idea who I was or what I was supposed to do with my life or how to just be. I just couldn't handle that. It just built up inside of me, and I just sank lower and lower into depression, self-hatred, self-pity, and I just reached the bottom, and the, the only voice in my head was just, end this, end your life, end this pain, end this misery. So I I tried.
1: And thankfully you failed.
2: <laughs> yes, and thankfully I failed. Jesus saved me. And um, I remember when I, when I woke up, the very first thing that I thought was that Jesus must be real and he must love me. And I just decided, sitting right there on the floor crying, give my life to him. And that was, that was it.
1: What comes next then? I mean, you had such a, a, you know, a difficult childhood trying to navigate who you are. How did you start to discover who you were now as a child of God?
2: I feel, um, you know, like people ask me sometimes, did you always know you wanted to be a worship leader or how how did you become that? And it's funny because I feel like all of the things in my life, all of the really great things and like the best things, some of the favorites, my favorite things about my life, are things I just randomly stumbled into. I wasn't trying to—I um, I never would have known that I would spend my life as a worship leader or doing what I do. It was not a plan I had. I I wasn't trying to be strategic about anything. And the only thing that I, I could think to do after I had made this commitment to Jesus my last year of high school was to just start growing relationship with Him. And in that, uh, you know, trying to grow that relationship doing what I had actually seen my stepfather do, which was get up early every single morning, worship, pray, read my Bible, and he'd always pray out loud. His relationship with God was very vulnerable. Like, I always thought it was so weird how he said his prayers out loud in front of us as if we weren't in the room, and he wasn't, like, hidden, holed up in a closet somewhere. Like, he's just out in the living room living out his relationship with God. But that really impacted me a lot of even who I am today as a worship leader, but I just began my my pursuit of Jesus and in falling in love with Jesus and just fixing my eyes on him, moving towards him. He led me where I was supposed to go. And so what came after that time of all the craziness and the hardship was a season of years that was inner healing and the Lord just leading me through different, you know, at times walking through painful memories, talking through those things with Him, allowing forgiveness to come into my life, allowing healing to come into my life, and really kind of a a, wee, a rewiring from the inside out is how it felt, just really being made new, just like His Word promises. You know, one of my favorite verses is in Proverbs. It says, Man makes his plans, but the Lord aligns his steps. And I just think that, that's kind of how it was and what came after that was me just fixing my eyes on Jesus and moving towards him and him and all of his grace and kindness, opening the right doors and paths and bringing the right people into my life to help lead me to freedom and really set me free from the chains and the things that were holding me bound.
0: You have this new perspective. uh, You have this change, but you still have this past that you're dealing with with your mom and relationships. Did Mm -hmm. that affect you when it came to looking into relationships and, you know, finding a husband?
2: Definitely. I, uh, Truthfully, I was a little terrified and kind of feeling like, I, how am I ever going to succeed at finding a person um, to spend my life with? I didn't think I really even had the tools to, to be able to do that. And I was definitely carrying baggage. And, you know, I feel like when you walk through something really traumatic and even walking through healing, there's layers. And um, it's like Shrek. Shrek talks about seeing the onion with the layers, you know. And I feel like that's true of, of healing. And it's like you, you kind of get some layers peeled back and God brings healing. And then later on, there's something else that will come up and, and trigger more of that. I honestly, I kept the kind of guys that I kept dating before my husband were guys that were just like the men that my mom chose. And I didn't even realize I was doing it. My, I felt like my mom chose these men. That needs fixed or helped or saved or like the aunt, you know you're an alcoholic. I need to save you and and get you free from this. Or you're you know there's there are these really massive issues in these men's lives, and she wanted to fix them. I realized I was choosing men like that, men that needed a savior, and then one day I was. I literally I had this crazy dream um, where I was, the Lord was setting me free from, from self-pity. And I woke up, and the first thought in my head was, I have become my mother. And it's like suddenly a curtain was pulled back, and I could see that I was I was doing exactly what she had done. And the, the type of men that I was kind of attracted to or, or just ended up with was, were these same kind of men. And I just had this thought. There is only one Savior, and it's Jesus, and it is not me. I cannot save anybody. And in that moment, I, I had a guy I was dating off and on for years at that point. I called him and ended that relationship that day. After that, I was, okay, I am going to just wait for God to bring someone because I don't want to fall into this again. And the Lord brought me my husband, who is very opposite of all of those things. <laughs> really amazing. And even after marrying him, I still had layers to work through, you know, of, of healing. Marriage kind of triggered some of those relational things with my past and my husband's been very gracious and kind in working through all of that stuff with me and letting me, you know, get healing and kind of process through that.
1: How did the, um, the memories and just kind of going through the process of your stepdads affect your perception of God, the father?
2: I felt very angry at God the Father, and very let down, and also, honestly, scared. I had this idea in my head that he was like some kind of big, scary, angry man who um, would punish me if I didn't do things just perfect, and would be angry at me and look down at me like, oh, you're so dumb why are you in this place again? Why are you struggling with this again? Why can't you just get over it? Why can't you just forget about it? And it was a pretty long process of trying to get to a place where I felt like I could accept God and love God. And, you know, I don't know, I don't feel like I hear it talked about very often, but the Trinity, you know, God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. And it was interesting to me that I so easily, at 11 years old, had this encounter with Holy Spirit and felt very accepting of Holy Spirit, very loved by Holy Spirit. And then later on, it was accepting Jesus. And even that, you know, Jesus, like a brother, or this this um, this friend, this comfort, this person who is kind of helping me and leading me through. But it felt like it was kind of years yeah. into my, my healing process, before I could really accept God as a Father and accept His love for me, and then also trust that love. Trust that that love is not going to leave me or abandon me or fail me. Um, Trust that He he sees me and He knows what's best for me and that I can trust Him with my life. I can trust Him to take care of me. And it took a while for that image I had of God the Father to, to change and for me to see him as a loving father and a kind father and a father that is fully capable and willing to take care of me and to protect me.
0: Did you find that music, because I mean, as an artist, your love of music was an outlet for you and and a form of therapy?
2: Definitely. You know, right at first, this is kind of interesting, but when, when the healing process started for me and kind of the whole rewiring from the inside out. God asked me to not think and to not be involved in... Um, we're having worship team auditions at, at our school, and I was going to go sign up to, to be a part of it. And I felt like God said, "Don't don't do it. I don't want you to tell anyone you sing. I don't want you to talk about it. I just want you to learn to listen and to hear my voice. I couldn't have formulated the words at the time But what God was preparing me for was just growing and building this relationship with Him. And it was very much like learning how to listen and and stay connected to Him. And what kind of came after that was this revelation that, okay, well, let's be honest. I was not the brightest student in school. I did not get good grades. I'm not very athletic. My nickname in basketball was Mop because I was always on the floor. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um tripping on my own big old feet running down the court. My track coach called me Ditz Walker. Oh, dear. Um I I just I did not have a ton of things going for me except singing. I and I didn't even think I was that special at it. I just thought I grew up doing this. I can I know I can sing, but lots of people can sing, but this is at least something I can do. And so when the Lord asked me to just set that down for this season, however long it was going to be, I realized that my identity was, like, really wrapped up in that. It was like, well, I kind of stuck at everything else, but this one thing I can do, and I really held on to that and and really let that kind of become the only identity I wanted or could hold on to. So there was a season where I wasn't doing that, and that was really hard because That is kind of how I process and how I express what I'm walking out and what I'm feeling. And that was really challenging. I had to find new ways of expressing myself and my heart and kind of new ways of just processing everything I was walking through. And then when the Lord brought that back into my life, it completely changed and was more beautiful than I could have imagined, you know, before. And it definitely is and was. Um, kind of a therapy, like you said, a a way for me to process everything I'm walking through, but also put into words what I'm living out and experiencing with
1: the Lord. So what brought you to Reading at Bethel?
2: My senior year, I had, after like giving my life to Jesus, I had applied to a Christian university um, in Tulsa, Oklahoma called Oral Roberts University. And I got a scholarship for music and I was like ready to go. My family stoked. And then I'm out in my backyard praying one day, and I felt like the Lord told me to go to Redding, California. And I had never even heard of Redding. I, I didn't know what it was or where it was. You know, I I went and looked it up online, and it's a small town, and it actually wasn't too far from where I was living because where I lived in Oregon is pretty close to the California border, and. Reading is also close to the border, so it wasn't very far. I kind of did a Google search to find that they had a, a Christian school there called Simpson University. I didn't think I would get in because I would like, you know, maybe a day away from the deadline. I was so close to the deadline. So I called and I sent my stuff in and said, you know, I'm just applying really late. And I got in. My family was really disappointed that <laughs> I gave up my scholarship to go to you know, some random little town and random school. So I really felt that the Lord told me to be there. I caught there, and the university was really conservative. And I, being kind of a new Christian, and also just being a very blunt kind of forward person, I got myself in so much trouble all the time. I didn't know the rules of Christianity. Like, I didn't know, you're not supposed to say certain things. Or, not (laughs) supposed to cuss, or whatever. And I just got myself in trouble, and... My grades were horrible, really, really bad. It's so embarrassing to say, but I put it in my book, so I'll just say it. I got a 1.2 GPA, and oh. I am convinced that it is because they do not know how to teach creative geniuses like myself, and I just did not fit in the boxers or the molds. and I'm driving around in the middle of the night trying and asking God, what am I doing here? Uh, what am I even doing with my life? Like, this is insane. I really, I'm really bad at school. I don't even have friends at my school. I'm like the outcast. And in the middle of the night, I drove, um, I made a wrong turn trying to get back to the school. And I ended up dead ending at this building on a hill. And there's this little kind of round building with windows all the way around it. And had the red people, well, it was like kind of glowing a red light a steeple up on top of it. Is a prayer house. I didn't know this at the time. It was a prayer house, and there was people inside in the middle of the night praying and worshiping, it looked like, and I just thought they looked like a bunch of weirdos, and I was really curious, so I decided—I drove around realized there was a church, and I wanted to come back on a Sunday and check it out, so I did. I came back that Sunday to Bethel Church, and I walked in and just felt overwhelmed, honestly, in some ways good in some ways terrified every kind of instrument on the stage, and dancers, and people waving flags, and people really, really happy, genuinely happy to be worshiping Jesus and um, singing, and it was really incredible, but I was also scared, like, this is kind of weird, and I, I left, but I just felt this drawing in my heart, like something was just kind of coming alive inside of me there, and I ended up going back, and ended up getting introduced to a girl who went to Simpson with me and lived only like a dorm away, and she became my best friend and really helped me kind of navigate being at this conservative school, Um, but also helped me kind of understand this new church and the culture and um, Holy Spirit. And when I'd ask questions, she would help me find the answers, or we'd read the Bible, and... She worked in the youth group as a volunteer, and she's like, we always need people. Why don't you come and help? She introduced me to Banning Leapshire, and Banning was the youth pastor at the time. And Banning is the founder and director of Jesus Culture. And um, so I got connected with him and started working as a youth group um, with him. And and, um, I ended up finishing out that year at Simpson, and then I did not go back (laughs) And I decided to go to the school of ministry at Bethel, and I did that for two years. And at the time, it was really new. The school was only a third year running, and it was about 90 students total, and it was very small and um, really different um, back then. Every, the church, everything was smaller, but um, it was really good. It was I, I feel like the Lord got me to Reading in a funny way, but it was all for this kind of bigger plan maybe, and more about the people and the connections that I made
0: there. You know, it's amazing, though, because I look at uh, lady female worship leaders, and I think of yourself, or I think of Darlene Check. Uh, and now you look, you fast-forward it to now, and you see a lot more female leaders. Have you yeah. seen a, a shift and a change with regards to females and ladies and, and worship?
2: Oh, definitely. You know, when I first started leading worship, I still ran into people within the church, and by the church, I mean, like, the church, the body of Christ, who had serious issues with me being a female minister and also not being married. I had people saying, you shouldn't be doing ministry, you're uncovered because you don't have a husband, you know, just, and I (laughs) I got so mad about that, like, well, take it up with Jesus, I'm waiting. (laughs) And um, I feel like at the time, there were even things like, you know, at one point when I first started leading, I, I sing lower. I have a low voice. I've always had kind of a raspy, low voice, even as a kid. So I'm transposing these songs into keys that make sense to me. And I remember at one point um, someone in leadership coming and saying, Hey, Kim, um, can you, when you lead your songs, can you lead them in the girl key? And I said, What? The and I said, girl key? You know, the girl key. And I was like, Well... Can you explain that to me? Because I happen to be a girl Mm -hmm. and I am doing these songs in the key that is comfortable for me. And what they had in their mind was kind of how it was at the time, which was any time a woman led worship, which was very rare, she was singing in this key that was like up really high. And if you're a female who does not have a high voice, that was impossible I really pushed back and challenged them in that. Like, as a worship leader, I'm going to be able to do my best uh, when I can sing the song in a key that's comfortable for me. And if I'm going to be able to really focus on Jesus and partnering with Him and what He wants to accomplish in the room, I need to be able to not think about how I'm about to die, not be able to reach the notes I'm trying to sing. Like, the song has to be at a key that's comfortable. And I just kind of held my ground there. And then after a while, it became acceptable. And I can't tell you how many women I meet who are worship leaders now or worship pastors, and they're saying, it wasn't until you were actually leading songs at a lower key successfully that I finally was given permission by my church to sing a song in a key that was comfortable for me. I know, like, that helped a lot of people. It helped me. Then there was, like, the being a a female and also a female who leads and doesn't play an instrument,
0: Mm. I was told,
2: you know, you need to learn an instrument. Well, I don't want to learn an instrument. Well, if you're going to be a worship leader, you have to lead from an instrument. And I said, watch me. And (laughs) that was another challenge, and obstacle I had to overcome because I just just didn't want to learn an instrument. I just wanted to lead the way that I, I knew to lead. And now when I see... So many female worship leaders, I think it is amazing. And I think the church has come really far in what they, um, you know, it just, it honestly, like the church wasn't as accepting when I first started. And, and, and it was kind of like, and if you are going to do it, you have to fit into this box mm-hmm. and do it a certain way. I just think there are some of us out here who pushed through <laughs> those boxes, and I think it helped make a way for a lot of other women. And I... Um, I I like to think that I got to be a part of that and helping to pave a way for a lot of other women to come and to jump in this now. And it's amazing and beautiful. And I love it so much.
1: Well, I mean, you really did. You were one of the trailblazers for women who are worship leaders. What's it like to know that that's a part of your contribution to to the Christian music scene?
2: I love that. And I feel like that's really the heart of a mother, which I I mean, I, I am a mother. I've got three kids, but I before I ever had had kids, I feel like I had that heart inside of me that I want to to see people doing going even further than I've gone and doing even better than I've done, and that I feel like that is um, a big part of what's in my heart is hoping you know and wanting to help lead a generation um, into that, and hopefully I. Can set a bar and then say, "I want you to you go even beyond this and further than this." It's actually a lot of fun for me, and I I love that. I love mentoring. I'm part of a, a mentoring program where I meet with ten female worship leaders once a month and just work through different things with them. You know, what do you do when you're the only girl in a band of all dudes, and how do you navigate that? Or what do you do when you know you're maybe not getting along with your church leadership and how do you navigate that or whatever it is and i i love that and that's that's a huge honor for me to be able to serve the church in that way
0: before we talk about uh, your book i did want to ask with regards to you being a mom and a working mom and you you talk about this navigating and balancing thing how do you balance being a a working mom with and you said you had 3
2: yeah 3 kids <laughs> Uh, I don't do it perfectly, but I do the best I can. And I've had a little bit of a journey with the Lord in trying to figure all of this out. So my kids, they just, they travel with me. My oldest son, who's five now, um, by the time he had his first birthday, he had been in 13 different countries and 19 different states. And I had, I mean, taken that kid everywhere. The first, foreign country I brought him to was Russia at four months old in the middle of winter. It was insane. And I look back on that. I'm like, what was that <laughs> <thing?"> <laughs> but we did it. And, um, you know, I, I I had this one year where um, towards the end of the year, I could tell my boys were done. Like they do not want to see another hotel room or tour bus or anything like they are finished. I felt like the Lord saying, you need to take some time off, like be home. And so I took the entire next year off, and I canceled everything that I could and cleared out my schedule, and we just stayed home. And it was so good for my boys. And in that time, I felt like the Lord teaching me things about myself and who I am as a mom. And I felt like I had had this idea in my head that I could only have one or the other at a certain or any given time. And I felt like the Lord really taught me that I can be totally fulfilled as a mother and totally fulfilled in my career, and that I can have both, but that I have to be sensitive to the seasons, like the one I was in, where it was time to stay home, and it was time to give my boys a break. And another thing the Lord told me that was also really important for me was He said that I need to... Um, remember to honor their sacrifice as well. I feel like I'm sacrificing a lot. It's hard for me being on the road with kids. And I've had people say, oh, it's probably so great that you get to bring your kids along. You're not like leaving them and missing them, which is true. But it's also really hard. Like it's actually really hard. Like having your kids like in a hotel room or a tour bus or backstage where there is nowhere for them to play. And I'm desperately trying to entertain them Before I run out on the stage and do what I do, and then come back, and they're crying, and we need food, and where is food? And, you know, the nearest place is far away, but oh, it's midnight, and it's closed. Or, you know, like, (laughs) this is hard. And then the Lord was like, I don't forget that they're sacrificing too. And that was really big for me, like, to recognize, like, my kids are sacrificing routine and familiarity and. The majority of their toys are left at home. And they're, um, they're, it's, it's a big deal for them to, to be doing this with us. And um, it changes every year. You know, if you're a parent, you know that you figure something out and you're like, yes, we've got it. <laughs> we're like in our flow. Then all of a sudden the kid wakes up one day and they hate yogurt. And you're like, <laughs> what? You, were, you loved yogurt yesterday. You ate like five yogurt tubes yesterday and then today they hate it. So... Right when you figure something out, then something changes, then you got to start all over again. And, you know, I just surrendered to that and accepted that this is being a parent just changes all the time. Stay on my toes and do the best I can.
1: I was just talking about that with Stu. My kids now hate it. Why? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that is like one of the great
2: mysteries that you know i don't even think science could ever figure out no <laughs> kids love something one day and they wake up and suddenly they hate it it's over
0: yeah so you're dealing with you're dealing with this music thing you're dealing with kids and being a wife and then you why did you decide then to write a book
2: i've never actually shared my story publicly i've shared little bits and pieces here and there like i might be speaking at something and just casually mention that I had multiple stepdads and had some abuse as a child or I might mention uh, I, I went through postpartum really bad after my, my second son or you know I've just mentioned things here and there um, but I've never like fully told my story and I started actually before I had my kids I started having people really asking and, and, and just kind of curious like how did, you, how did you end up here or when they found out that I wasn't like raised in church or like raised as a Christian and that had I, I think a lot of people assumed that I was like a church kid and had grown up in the church. There's always a little bit of a surprise there. And so honestly the thought started forming in my head of like people actually they wanna know. They wanna know the the story. How did you end up here and how did how did you end up doing what you're doing. Um but also I started recognizing and I I kind of feel like I needed a little more healing with this actually but I started recognizing that the story of redemption that Jesus did in my life is is a powerful story. And when I hear other people's redemption stories, I cry. I'm moved by that. It's amazing. I, I love hearing the redemption that Jesus brings into people's lives and how He saves them and how He changes them and how He turns their whole life around. And those are just the best stories. And also, when you hear those, there's something in you that if you're if you're having a similar struggle that you go, Hey, if Jesus did it for them, he could do that for me I realize I want I wanted that. I, I have a redemption story to share and I want to share that and I want to help other people get free and that's that's my prayer. And so I started to write it and then got pregnant and thought, this is a daunting task. And I set it aside and then had my baby and picked it up again. And then I got pregnant again. And then I (laughs) set it aside. And and then I was like, okay, I'm ready. And I picked it up again. And then I got pregnant again. But this time, after I um, had my third baby, I thought, you know what? I'm going to commit to this. And I'm going to make sure that this happens this time. And I signed a contract. I got a publisher and signed a contract. So then it was like, I've got a deadline now. I have to make this happen. And that was good. I needed that. And so after after baby number three and kind of during that pregnancy a little bit, I buckled down.
0: When you're writing something like this, is it difficult to bring up the past because that's who Kim was, not Kim who is now?
2: It was. It was difficult kind of going back and reliving a lot of that. But it was also really refreshing because when I look back on my story and my life, I, I do feel like God rewrote it after all the healing because I'm you know, I'm aware of and I see all the painful things and I can feel the um oh man, that was hard and that hurt. But what I see more than that and bigger than that and greater than that is what Jesus did in my life and how he saved me and how he turned everything around and it kind of reliving even all of that, reliving all of the inner healing. It was actually really incredible for me and really good for my heart. And then I I, I just finished uh, recording the audiobook. I just balled my way through <laughs> that. <Yeah. laughs> it was crazy. Um, reading it was even different than than writing the story, like typing it out and telling the story. Reading it is like I'm, I'm telling this story to an audience and I'm feeling all of the emotion, and I want that emotion to come through because I, I want that to be communicated in the, in the storytelling. I'm not just reading a book. I'm telling the story, and um, I had to stop multiple times while I just sat there sobbing, feeling all of the emotions of it so strong, then uh, collect myself, get get my breath back, and then jump back in. That was crazy. But it's I, don't, I love it honestly. It's, it's just remembering that's why I worship. That on the days when I wake up and I do not want to worship, like I got to go read worship Sunday morning, and I wake up and maybe I'm just having a really bad day, or had a fight with my husband, or I'm losing my sanity with my children, whatever it is, and I don't want to do it. The thing that I will always do that always puts me, never fails, in a place to worship is I just take a moment to stop and remember what Jesus has done for me. I remember what he saved me from. I remember that darkness. I remember that pit that I was in when he found me. I remember when I first heard his voice calling my name. And instantly, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude and with love and with passion, and I cannot hold it in. And that is... I, I instantly I'm ready to worship. I'm ready to sing. I'm ready to lift my hands and um so I I actually don't mind reliving those moments, even when they are kinda of painful to relive, because I'm also getting to relive the moment Jesus found me and that is always a huge motivator for me in in worship.
1: Well, as you relive some of those moments, um, this is the Why Me Project podcast. So are there any moments in your life where you remember thinking or saying out to God, why me?
2: Yeah, definitely. I had a few of those. One that's kind of coming to my mind right now that's kind of funny is um, every time I tried to do something with music and with singing, I failed miserably. And it kind of became this thing in my life where it felt like I mean, that was definitely what I would ask myself: Why me? Why does this always happen to me? Um, I had, I, I was in our, our, worship, or not worship, the the choir at school um, freshman year of high school, and I did something that really upset my teacher, and he kicked me out of choir, and I was banned from choir for the rest of high school. Oh, so no. I didn't get to like be a part of any. Singing or like music training throughout high school. Um, when I got to Simpson, uh, the Christian University, my first year right out of high school, I auditioned for the worship team as a background singer, and I didn't make the team. I just feel like it's funny throughout my life there were all these moments that it's so random. I was I was trying to sing or be a part of music, and I always ended up failing or getting kicked out or not being part of the team. And then, ironically, this is what I ended up doing with my life,
1: which is insane.
2: But for me, I had many of those grimy moments trying to do something with singing and with music and always failing every single time. I had a lot of those moments, too, just um, all of the stuff that I was facing in my My childhood um, was the hard stuff, the abuse, the anger, the all of that. When my mom married her fourth husband, my third stepdad, that was probably my biggest why me moment. Why me? Why am I stuck in this family with this mother marrying these men?
0: If you want to get the book Brave Surrender, it is available right now. And we also learned today that if you want to get pregnant, write a book.
2: Yep. (laughs) Yes
0: you can uh, follow her on all the socials it's Kim Walker at Kim Walker Smith uh, we appreciate you taking a moment and spending some time with us
2: thank you so much for having me
0: thank you to everybody so far who has reached out to us who they'd like to hear in the up and coming episodes
1: and you can always reach out to us if there is someone who crosses your mind as someone with a great story that you think would be wonderful for the Why Me Project podcast
0: download on Apple Podcasts you can check out Google Play Stitcher SoundCloud and then of course, faithstrongtoday.com. <laughs>